Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of April 11th, 2019. On the show today, Disney's filed a new patent for something called an interactive space based on predicted events. We'll go through that. Plus, rumors about Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway and other Disney theme park news. Plus, we talk about a new survey Disney just sent out asking questions about new characters. But first... Let's bring in the man who's been known to flip through a Big Mac like a wad of cash while the McDonald's employee behind the register says, it's all there, man, I swear, one Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? If you remember from the commercial, it's to all beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun. And, you know, they miss the pickle sometimes. All right. I'm, so, I'm sorry. Just, I'm kind of trust a stickler. But verified, Jim. That's all I'm saying. Okay. All right. Sorry. <laughs> kind of sensitive. Okay. So. Jim, before we begin, let's do a quick shout out to subscribers over at DisneyDish.Bandcamp.com. Thanks to new subscribers, number one fan, Gordon Yu and Chewbacca, and longtime subscribers, Thomas A., Anthony S., and Ken H. Fun fact, Jim, the entire script for Captain Jack's Pirate Tutorial came from a Disney intern following these folks around Epcot while they were doing drinking around the world during food and wine one year. I learned so much from you. Just from this little thing right here. There we go. So. <laughs> All right, Jim, let's do the news. Disney Dish News is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Disney Dish Podcast. For a worry-free travel experience every time, book online at storybookdestinations.com. Don't forget they've got that cruise with Scott Sanders, our friend from the Disney Cruise Line blog, June 19th through the 23rd. It's got a double dip on Castaway Key, and it is on the Disney Dream, one of my favorite ships. So do that if you can. Mm -hmm. All right, Jim, this week, Disney announced Mickey's Very Merry Christmas Party dates starting November 8th, running through December 22nd, 23 days, I believe. Mm -hmm. Typically Sundays, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. I think that's one more than last year. Mm -hmm. And ticket prices range from $99 to $139 plus tax. At the high end, that's $10 more than in 2018. Jim, frankly, I was surprised there was only one more. Than last year. From an operational point of view, you can only stuff so many of these in here. Do you remember when Disney actually made a run at trying to make Easter like this? Yeah, with the uh, pirate and princess party? Was that it? Not only that, but for, for a time, they actually did the broadcast on ABC of Disney's Easter Parade. and Easter Parade, yeah, right, and yeah. It just was one of those things that never got the traction. But Yeah, I think spring holidays, everyone sort of everyone's off that uh, post-Christmas high. They're paying their Christmas bills. Mm -hmm. They've got, in April, they've got uh, taxes due, which is not a good time for there we go for so, holidays, right? What is it? I April think. is yeah. the cruelest month. They were doing this in the, the T.S. Eliot quote. I just know it from uh, Bill Murray, but okay, your thing too. <laughs> well, there we go. He did a Cubs broadcast one time with, uh, with Harry Carey, <laughs> and, and that was one of his quotes. Oh, okay. Jim, the other uh, big piece of news, the last illuminations ever. Mm-hmm. Scheduled for Monday, September 30th, 2019, Epcot Forever debuts the next night on October 1st. Mm -hmm. September 30th, Jim, also the anniversary of La Cava del Tequila. So guess what I'm doing that <laughs> night, Jim? <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes, Jim, my, my schedule just writes itself. There we go. <laughs> Given all the great concerts you've been to, I think you should get a set of commemorative touring plan lighters created so that, you know, oh, when the very yeah. last illumination ends, everybody can to light their lighters just like at a great concert, you know, and, and hope for the encore. 
That's, uh, that's not a bad idea at all. I actually may or may not have looked into how much it would cost to sponsor the last Illumination show. Oh, okay. We'll see. All right. Jim, I want to get uh, your take on a couple of rumors mm-hmm. that have been floating around. On April 1st, I heard that Disneyland had about eight weeks of construction work left for Galaxy's Edge. Now, you would think, James, mm-hmm. that that would be fine because it opens May 31st and there are nine weeks before April 1st and May 31st. The problem is that construction has to be finished before they can bring in cast members to have park ops do the actual training. And I'm told they need four weeks to train. So we've got 12 weeks of work to fit into nine weeks on the calendar. Jim, what's the mood over in Disneyland right now? It's a little tense. Well, look, everybody recognizes that's inside of Black Spire Outpost that this is a game changer. This is cutting edge work. And when it finally gets open and running the way it's supposed to, it is going to fundamentally change the Disney theme park experience. The fact that they're are going to basically have to do training around uh, finishing of props and painting and even just things like area lighting and all that. I mean, it is a tense time. Everybody's excited, but there is genuinely a concern about are we going to be able to get this done? And the button that they keep pushing is, well, remember, in 1955, they didn't put down the pavement on Main Street right before. <laughs> you know, so, so it's like, there's kind of a tradition when it, you know, so it's like, okay, all right. I think, Jim, what we're going to find out very soon is that there were a lot more uh, dirt walkways in Batu than we originally thought. Go figure, Len. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so. All right. So you think that they're prioritizing the operational aspects before the, uh, the lighting and the, uh, the landscaping and things like that? It's important here to sort of make the parallel between when Universal opened Escape from Gringotts. The ride was open, and you know, they were still props out on the loading dock. So, you know. Oh, it, yeah. I remember it, it, it opened for like 10 minutes that, the first day. And it was like, well, technically it opened. There we go. <laughs> but then, then, it, then, then we stopped running. Yeah. Uh, and, and they yeah. did for a week to 10 days after Diagon Alley opened. They would chase everybody out of the park and then they'd, they'd go back to yep. work. And that's going to be happening also with Galaxy's Edge in California. All right, fair enough. Uh, oh, Jim, over in uh, Walt Disney World, work also continues at Hollywood Studios for Galaxy's Edge mm-hmm. and uh, also with some concern. One of the first things that Disney did in preparation for the crowds for Galaxy's Edge over at Hollywood Studios mm-hmm. was launch this Lightning McQueen's Racing Academy uh, back behind Rock and Roller Coaster. Uh, but Jim... Ever since the opening weekend, it look, looks like attendance here is sparse. There hasn't been a wait to get into any show, and the shows themselves are not full. And that is not good because if nobody wants to see it, then it's not going to help with capacity come August 31st. So, Jim, what's Disney's plan for this once Galaxy's Edge opens? Are they just thinking that people are going to have to visit it because everything else is going to be full? You also have to understand this is Cars. This is one of the company's biggest franchises. Right now... You know, if you you press them on this issue, it's like, look, we're still in soft opening mode. We're still, we haven't begun the promotion. And in in fact, you know, supposedly there will be, starting on May 1st, the 30th anniversary, Mm -hmm. you'll see a lot more signage. You'll see the, the guide for the park. We'll put the show on the cover, that sort of thing. In a lot of ways, we are dealing with an unfortunate positioning of this attraction i mean it's way the hell down there deep in the park off of sunset boulevard and if you're in sunset you're walking down the tower of terror and a rock and roller coaster you're barely aware that the lightning mcqueen racing academy is back there so there's been some discussion about you know do they bring the mater 
drive-around character that is so popular in California at Cars Land. And mm -hmm. they got some pretty significant pushback from Imagineering about that. And it was just sort of like, Mater doesn't belong on Holly or Sunset Boulevard. The whole notion of rolling him up to the top of off of Sunset on the Hollywood Boulevard, it would be a lot of fun for people, but it's like it breaks the theming. So it's like, we need another way to do this. The attraction is where the attraction is. It's ridiculously flexible. I don't know if you've, you've seen it yet, Len, but as heavily screen-based as it is, this thing can easily transition. Oh, it could be, yeah, it could be uh, an aquarium, a, a video <laughs> aquarium tomorrow. Yeah. But at the same time, for, from the Cars franchise, you can get a Christmas show in there easily. You can get a Halloween sure. show in there early or easy. It's kind of unfortunate because as of right now, there are no plans to continue with the Cars franchise. Pixar has become kind of sensitive about the fact that it seems to be a sequel factory. That yeah. said, I, it's worth noting here, Drew just saw a good portion of Toy Story 4 and has nothing but good things to say about it. It, it looks like a great film, but... Yeah, but still, I, yeah. Because didn't they, didn't they branch off when they did cars? They did airplanes and boats, but they it was did. like direct they to video. Did. They did. Right now, they view it, it's a decent attraction, but it's a positioning and it's a promotion problem. Okay. So the fact that it's in the middle of nowhere and... Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, they can't so they can, they, can, they can do some of that. Yeah. They, they, they can't change anything about the position, but they can do more promotion. And we'll see what happens. All right, cool. Jim, one other uh, uh, quick thing. Rumors have started to float around that uh, Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway might not be open in time for Galaxy's Edge on August 29th. So the hope has always been that Runaway Railway would be open because it'll handle something like 2,000 to 3,000 people are at mm -hmm. per hour. And it'd be a new ride for people to go on while they waited for the Galaxy's Edge attractions. But without that, Jim... I'm calculating that the studio's writing show capacity is somewhere around 15,000 people per hour. Mm -hmm. That's not a lot because without Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway, that one ride probably drops the park's capacity by about five or 10,000 people mm -hmm. because a lot of the park's capacity is determined by how much area there is for people to stand, uh, which is a safety thing, but also Disney's concerned about guest satisfaction. So the length of the ride lines mm -hmm. comes into play. And Disney does not want there to be an average three-hour wait for every ride, so they're gonna they'll they'll cap people for that. Jim, what's the what's the backup plan if Runaway Railway isn't ready for August 29th? First of all, this isn't an if. <laughs> Never mind about August. This may not be ready till December. I haven't heard a specific thing other than not August. Yeah, the last thing I heard. Everybody who's seen the tests, everybody who's seen the playthrough, that sort of thing, it's just sort of like, it, it's an amazing attraction when it works and when it, it will be done. But when you are pulling all of your troops to go work on Galaxy's Edge to make that deadline, I brought up the issue you, you talked about in regard to, you know, there's only so many construction workers in, you know, Central Florida that can pass a P-test. Exactly. <laughs> and this is the thing. It's like, if we had the bodies, we'd make the deadline. We don't have the yeah. bodies. And so that's the other issue is that when this opens in August, you know, a whole bunch of people can pivot and go work on Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway. Disney, however, has already made a priority that they want at least half of the bodies that worked on Galaxy's Edge to walk across the street and get cranking on the Star Wars Boutique Hotel. Oh, yeah. So the work has actually started with that, but it looks like it's land clearing and... 
sewer grading. pipes, conduit, yeah. that sort of thing. Drainage, yeah. Okay. But, you know, by the time Galaxy's Edge opens, supposedly they'll pour the concrete and they'll then be ready to, to go vertical. But yeah, it's a body situation. Hmm. It's going to be amazing and it's going to be right in the center of the park and it will be a giant people eater. But, you know, there are just only so many construction workers available. And right now, right. because of, you know, all the people who are booking hotel packages uh, to be there mm. in, in late August, it's like, I'm sorry, that's the priority. All right, Jim, uh, one other quick thing for, uh, for news. Uh, Disney filed this patent called uh, Interactive Space Based on Predicted Events. Mm -hmm. So it's about displaying content on a screen if certain unexpected but might occur things happen in a vehicle. Now, you're probably thinking that this is for ride vehicles, but in ride vehicles, as we all know, the ride itself is largely predetermined. Disney knows what's going on in most of the rides most of the time. The drawings in this patent, though, Jim, show a car mm -hmm. and mentions both virtual reality and augmented reality. So the idea is that, let's say you're, and I'm guessing here, but you're driving in a car, you're driving in a bus, you come to a stoplight, mm -hmm. you know that uh, you're stopped and it's right by Disney's Hollywood Studios. The patent would say, hey, we've got some technology that says if we're by Hollywood Studios and we're stopped at a light and we know where the light is because you can know those things from GPS, let's display some stuff on a window that's relevant for being near studios and stopped at a stoplight. Jim, what, what is Disney thinking here? Is this, it, it doesn't seem like it's for a ride. What, what, what are they thinking of it for, for uses of this technology? In a weird sort of way, you pretty much hit on it, that if you're on a internal Disney transportation system, it's when Flower and Garden is going on, or Food and Wine, or... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. You have this captive audience, whether they're riding the monorail, whether they're riding the bus system, or that sort of thing. When you're riding something like the Magical Express... There were those of us who will, in fact, watch the highlight reel, you know, the, the sort of presentation of what's new at the park, that sort of thing. But for a lot of folks, it's like it's a television. I, I got my iPhone. I'm face down in it. Disney feels like if we do it on the windows, if we surprise people, they'll be that much more likely to pull their faces up out of their phones. And that really is what this is about. There's this whole generation of folks who spend big bucks to go down to Central Florida, who then walk around mm -hmm. you know, face down on their phone. You can't get people like that to spring for a dining package, something that they might go for while they're on vacation spontaneously. And if they're doing this in ride vehicles and buses and you know mm -hmm. uh, minivans and stuff like that, they'll be less inclined to be stuck in their phones and more inclined to look Look out at the stuff around them. It's a good idea for Disney, actually. I agree. It's, a, it's a way of getting, getting people's attention. It's not bad at all. I agree. All right, Jim, we're going to take a quick commercial break right after that. Alert listener Lucy H has sent in a survey that Disney's been uh, circulating around new characters for the parks and how you want to interact with them. We'll talk about that right after this. All right, Jim. One of our listeners, Lucy H., sent in a survey. She seems to get a lot of surveys, doesn't she, Jim? She does. She does. And, and she does. She's on the right list. <laughs> yeah, More yeah. to the point, God bless her for sending them to us. I know, right? Yeah, thank you. Thank you. So she's, uh, she sent in this survey, and it's a, uh, it's a bunch of questions that Disney's been asking about different character properties, mm -hmm. like owned by different studios that Disney now owns, yep. and how you want to interact with them in the parks. Do you want to go through this for us, Jim? 
Yeah, I, I, I spent this morning sort of going through what Lucy shared and sort of breaking it down into easier format for us to work with here. But what's interesting is the way Disney describes, as part of the survey, how you can interact with the characters while you're at the parks. So to their way of thinking, there's a three very specific ways that you encounter the characters when you're in the parks. There is the characters you meet in person. Uh, you get to interact with them personally. You can have a conversation, hug them, pose for a photo, get an autograph, that sort of thing. There are then the characters that you see from a distance that are in a parade or in a show. You, you are entertained by them, but you don't get to personally meet them. And then there were the, the, the things like, uh, for example, over at Pop Century, the oversized Roger Rabbit figure or the Lady and the Tramp giant figures that are over at the uh, all-star movies where, you know, you right. have a basically a picture opportunity with a character that's, you know, again, a decoration at a hotel or a theme okay. park atmosphere. Or like the giant Buzz Lightyear in uh, Toy Story. That's it, exactly. But you don't okay. Got get it. to okay. pe personally meet these characters. And what they were doing was trying to sort of gauge the temperature between, let's give you a list of characters. And is this a character you want to meet personally? Is this a character you, you want to see just from a distance and be entertained in a show, is it okay for them to just be a, sort of an atmospheric or, or do you not want to meet them at all? And then the list itself is how they broke it down. I mean, there was first the group that they basically referred to as classic Disney, which pretty much okay. is anything, any of the characters from any of the films from say 1967 back. So, you know, you had, like, okay. Prince Charming from Snow White. You had Grumpy from, likewise, Snow White. But Tinkerbell, the fairy godmother from Cinderella, Maleficent from Sleeping Beauty, uh, Mary Poppins. So basically the, uh, the first generation of uh, Disney characters. They then broke it down to a, another iteration where it was the second golden age of Disney animation. So you had, okay. you know, going from, like, Ariel from The Little Mermaid all the way okay. through to Lilo of, from Lilo and Stitch. And, and then... A further sort of breakdown of, of where the characters were, the Walt Disney Animation Studios era. So, for example, you got like Olaf from Frozen and Flynn Rider from Tangled, but the CG Disney films. And then huh. to further sort of make a refinement here, they also had Walt Disney Animation uh, or television animation characters. So you had like Scrooge McDuck from DuckTales or Max Goof from Goof Troop or the Goofy movie. So it's, it's interesting that they started off by breaking these down basically by by time, mm -hmm. by era, yep. and now it's by studio. Okay, go ahead. So is there a Pixar? Uh... Yeah, Pixar's in the, in the mix, okay. and right. we have everyone from Mike Wazowski to Remy from Ratatouille. Uh, we have the Cruz Ramirez interactive you know, photo op car, likewise Lightning himself. And then they actually made a point of Miguel from Coco... But in puppet form, and in fact, I, I'm sure you've heard about that that show that they're now they brought over from California Adventure uh, that they're doing in front of the Mexico Pavilion. That oh, super popular! Yeah, yeah, I saw it a couple weeks ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but then they also asked about Jack Skellington and Sally from Nightmare Before Christmas, who have been you know hugely popular in California. Yeah, well, I mean, plus, I mean, Halloween is only growing in popularity in the states oh, God, too. Yeah. So, yeah, and then of course, not a surprise with Galaxy's Edge. They're asking about Star Wars, and we get characters from the original trilogy like R2-D2, Luke Skywalker, Darth Vader, Lando Calrissian. I was, was kind of intrigued to see him in the mix. 
and likewise hmm. Ewoks. But interesting, they also ask about Darth Maul from the prequels and Captain Phasma from uh, the more inter- uh, more recent films. And then, of course, you know, not a surprise, Marvel. Yeah, but what, what, what can they... They can't do the main characters in Marvel, right? The fact that they're asking... Here in the list, they mentioned Scarlet Witch from the Avengers. Now, Scarlet Witch is one of the characters who's going to be getting a limited series as part of the Disney Plus subscription streaming service. Oh, really? So, well, they got, they got to build content, so yeah, yeah, I understand that. Now, on the other hand, as part of this survey, they did ask both about Thor and the Incredible Hulk, and you and I both know that the theme park rights for those characters are held not only by Universal Parks and Resorts, but the IMG Worlds of uh, Adventure folks, the folks who built the Indo yeah. Park in Dubai. So why, why would they even ask about them, though? Because they know they're not going to bring them into, the, into, into Disney World. You don't put, you know, especially Disney, the way they write a survey... Take, for example, it's another portion of the survey where they ask people about franchises. And in this franchise section, there's, you know, they ask questions, of, for example, about Wonder Woman. And it's like, look, Disney's an own Wonder Woman. That's likewise Batman. But at the same time, the fact that right in the middle of, you know, how do you feel about this franchise? One of the properties they're, they're asking about, Lynn, is Home Alone. Home Alone. Yeah, the 1990 uh, John Hughes. Remember Macaulay Culkin, you know, beating up. Oh, I remember the film. I'm just saying, of, of all of John Hughes' work, that would be the uh, uh, one at the bottom of my list of what I'd want to say. If you're thinking from a theme park show point of view, if you were watching a stunt show built around the Wet Bandits trying to break into the house, we've been talking about what they might do with the Void. So, oh, right. the okay. very fact that this is even in the mix is fascinating and out of all of the muppet characters the only one that disney asked about as part of the survey was miss piggy that's kind of unbelievable why i mean not even kermit not even kermit ha kind of intriguing because he had a meet and greet out in california the oswald the lucky rabbit that they recently shut Hmm. down the question that i thought was fascinating was that they asked people who were taking the survey, they wanted to get a sense of, well, what do you actually know? And so they had, had a question. Disney is not only classic Disney, but it also includes other universes. And which mm-hmm. of the following universes is Disney? And they asked, you know, is do you consider DreamWorks part of the Disney universe? Which, which is kind of a trick question, Len, because the, there was that period where Disney was actually releasing DreamWorks' live-action films through Touchstone. Right. They then also ask, do you know whether or not Fox, 20th Century Fox, is part of Disney? And, and then it's, okay, Marvel and Pixar and Marvel. Star Wars. But then in the mix there is, is Studio Ghibli, which... I had to look this up. So this is a Japanese animation. Oh, yeah. Great, great stuff. Company, but yeah. more to the point, Disney for a time through Buena Vista Home Entertainment not only uh, made these available for home viewing, but I, I want to say Disney actually handled the theatrical stateside releases of these things. Oh, that makes sense, because the Studio Ghibli is not going to uh, release it on their own. And then final question here, how many times have you been to a Disney theme park? Uh, everything from one to more than 50 times, and also, don't know, can't remember, got hit in the head by a Mickey bar, and, you know, that's like have mm-hmm. amnesia. I think... Len, we're recording this on uh, April 11th, and uh, about three hours from now, mm-hmm. the Disney Investor Day presentation is going to go uh, 
you know, going to go live. Oh, this is the uh, the uh, big uh, Disney Plus uh, yeah. reveal, right? Okay, so and we'll be posting this show like four days from now. So th- mm-hmm. about this time, there were going to be a lot of people talking crazed Disney fans off of ledges because they're going to have learned that the Simpsons are a huge part of Disney Plus. That all every single Simpson episode in in the history of the animated series is going to be available. Through Disney Plus, <laughs> you, Jim, you, you know, you've seen the meme that uh, where uh, the Simpsons predicted everything. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so they they actually predicted this, right? They predicted once that they uh, back in '98 uh, that they would be owned by Disney. There you go. They did a survey work uh, as, as you know they were considering the Fox acquisition, and what they found out about the Simpsons is that when they asked people. When they thought about The Simpsons in comparison to Disney, they thought it was as strong a brand as Disney, that people immediately knew what The Simpsons were. They were familiar with a lot of the characters. They were. This was a defined world. And, you know, it was like, do you have a problem with The Simpsons being part of Disney? And it's like, no, we don't. Is the deal that Universal has for its theme parks with The Simpsons characters as ongoing and as ironclad as the one that they've got for Marvel characters? It's actually more in the style of the Harry Potter deal. Does it have an end date? It has renewal points. Oh. I want to say it's five and ten year renewals at a time. And now you got to remember, the the Potter deal actually does run out, I want to say, in 2030? That's provided that at each of the five and ten year renewals, that something doesn't trip it up. Is it automatically renewing unless, or is it that both sides have the option to renew it, or that either side has the option to renew it? There are certain thresholds that have to be, you know, I mean, obviously there's, you know, the financial considerations, um, and it's it's an absolute river of cash land, so nobody wants to disrupt it. On the other hand. There were certain uh, thresholds for maintenance, for maintaining the area. Disney evidently still sends somebody over to Universal once a month to sort of walk around Superhero Island and make sure that everything's painted and maintained to Mac. Because evidently that that's a deal killer if they can prove that they're not putting the time and the effort into the Marvel stuff. They can oh, start really? to shut down the deal, and which again, when you... You hear that suddenly the upgrading of the film for Spider-Man and the redoing of the the Incredible Hulk coaster takes on a new meaning. Anyway, uh, getting back to The Simpsons, the folks at Universal, the the Simpsons ride has been a smash hit, you know, out in Universal Hollywood since uh, May of 2008. And the Florida version opened a month before that. So and they've since built Fast Food Avenue and at Universal Florida, and they've done the whole Springfield, USA area uh, on the upper lot. So Universal wants to keep this going. What's going to get interesting, in much the same way that we're seeing a Spider-Man attraction being added to DCA, mm-hmm. we may not get the produced by Imagineers, Simpsons stuff stateside. But there are Disney theme parks around the globe, and The Simpsons is a global franchise, so really, really don't be surprised if you see The Simpsons out there. And if you watched, for example, Freeform just this past Mm -hmm. weekend, Len, 
they did an Ice Age marathon. They ran four oh, right. 20th yeah, Century yeah. Foxes Ice Age movies back to back to back to back. Were there like four of those, five of those, something like yeah, that? Yeah, there, there's five of them so far, plus two holiday specials, uh, ice shows. This is a huge brand, Len. And Disney Plus, look at that and then be prepared to see that sort of attitude filter into the parks, Len. It's all Disney in, in Bob Iger and... Bob Chapek's eyes, this is all fodder for the parks. Back in 1987, you know, when, when Star Tours first opened at the parks, there were people who were angry about that as well. They felt that this isn't Disney, and it's like, well... Eventually. Ev- <laughs> there you go. Eventually. There you go. So, it's all Disney. Yeah. All right, folks, that's going to do it for our show today. For more of our other shows, head on over to DisneyDish.BandCamp.com. And we are produced fabulously by Aaron Adams. Go catch his Coachella set this weekend at the Outdoor Theater between LMA and Rufus Del Sol. Don't forget to go into iTunes and rate our show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We will see you on our next show.